0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: I am starving. I haven't had lunch since yesterday, so
2: I'm going to head over to Callahan's. Oh, no, 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 don't go there. They totally skimp on pickles. Let me go to Big Head Joe's for you. They have the most insane burritos. I don't much go for ethnic food. No, <clears throat> trust me. They have one that's called the Meat Tornado. Colts bring five. Prescott Cruz and is complete. CeeDee Lamb, was he down? They say no for now.
1: And he's into the end zone for a touchdown. Pierre Song was a six-round pick. Kali was the fourth round. Indianapolis
2: Colts know how to draft so well. They really do. Wiley cox fumble the football. It's recovered by Dallas. And is that Malik Hooker again? It is against his old team again. Touchdown, Dallas. What is up, Cowboys Nation? Happy Victory Tuesday because you already know after a Cowboys win, especially a nearly 60-burger from the Dallas Cowboys, it is a victory day every day of the week welcome to the writer's blog podcast i am part one of two uh, of your hosting crew i'm jess at navarez joined by my awesome, amazing, incredible co-host that I can't say enough good things about, Brandon Laurie. That is at Brandon is right on Twitter, and he was right about a lot of things with this game, which we are going to get right into. I'm at Justin underscore on Twitter. If you want to go, tell me how much you love pumpkin pie. I'm still not going to drop that, Brandon. I'm really going to try, but uh, it, it's a little hard for me. However, what we are talking about nearly sixty burger. I really wanted to jump right into this because here's the thing. I know you and I both do score predictions leading up to the game. I want to know how incredibly wrong we both were. I'm not expecting a historic fourth quarter from the Dallas Cowboys like we saw.
1: Yeah, I I, I put down 30 to 15 in my weekly prediction for David Howman's column with all the BTB staffers. And I think everybody knew that this was going to be um, the type of game that the Cowboys would win convincingly. I think that the best way to sum it up is if you told me that the fourth quarter would have been as impressive and that they're going to score 33 unanswered points, I would have said, no, you're crazy. But then if you told me that the Cowboys were going to start off slow and that going into halftime, it would be a closer game than expected, I would say, no, you're crazy. So I think that it was really a game of just like topsy-turviness, I guess is the best way to to sum it up. I, I wrote down here that What my big takeaway is, is that this Cowboys team is different than what we saw this time last season. We talk about ghosts of Christmas past last week. They are exercising their ghosts of 2021 that have haunted them from then until now. And mainly we talk about this stretch uh, from last season of after the Minnesota game, they went on this run of just not really performing well. Um, Four games after week eight, the team was one and three. This season, four games after week eight, they're three and one. And not only that, but the offense specifically, which was causing problems last season, they're on a roll. They are, and I saw this stat online, they have rushed for 150 yards uh, plus in the past five games, passed for 150 yards in each of the past five games, and scored 25 points in each of those games, which is the first team in NFL history to do that in five consecutive games. So I think you can see a theme here of this team is performing well way above expectations and the fact that they were able to get over 50 points embarrass the Colts at the end of the day they were just the better team overall we knew that going in and they proved it by scoring the 54 points I think Zach Wolchuk he was calling it the 50 brisket you have the 40 burger but then you might have the 50 brisket you know Texas a little barbecue action I like it I know a lot of people aren't too big fans of it but I'm a big fan of brisket so I'm, I'm all for it
2: I love brisket. I do. I think that's that rolls off the tongue nicely. It's different. Uh, it's brisket. different. I, I like that. But, you know, what was really impressive to me was, yeah, like you said, it, <laughs> it it's not like we didn't expect this game to have a big score difference here. I mean, everybody knew the Cowboys could come out of this game, and they absolutely should have come out of this game with a dominating score. But just not – how it happened, right? I mean, you're talking about a Cowboys team that scored 33 points in the fourth quarter and that being uh the fourth quarter the most fourth quarter points in franchise history, Dallas's 33 points uh, in the final quarter are also the second most fourth quarter points by any NFL team since the NFL merger. Thank you Cowboys PR for that little fun fact, but also to give you all a little bit more context, CBS Sports tweeted out that the Cowboys scored 33 points in a span of about 11 minutes in the fourth quarter versus the Colts. These are the following teams that haven't scored 33 points in a game this entire season. You have the Commanders, the Texans, the Rams, the Steelers, the Broncos, the Giants, the Browns, the Titans, and the Bucks. So wow. if that yeah, if that doesn't give you context to how dominant this fourth quarter was, I don't know what will because that in itself... I mean, incredible. However, you and I were kind of talking, uh, you know, before we started recording, and we were talking about how we didn't expect it to really play out like it did, but you talked about a key moment that you think was the game changer in changing the pace of this game uh, after coming out of the half score being 21-13, the Cowboys on top, but also should have having uh should have having had a little bit more padding at that point for a win so what to you was that key moment that really changed the tides and solidified this uh cowboy's brisket if you will this uh beautiful beautiful feast that the Cowboys had on Sunday night football.
1: I think there were two things like the the Colts came out and they came out swinging. The the Colts could have easily won their previous 3 games. I know they won Jeff Saturday's first game uh, against the Raiders but then lost a close one to the Eagles and then last week to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So They've been playing competitive football. Their record doesn't really show that, but the team has performed better than when Frank Reich was the head coach. And so I expected that the Colts were going to keep it closer than expected. I didn't think that it would be 54-19, but I I did think that when we were seeing the Colts play a little bit more aggressively, um, get out to the quick 3-0 lead after the Cowboys failed to do anything on their opening drive, I, I was starting to feel the frustration come from my father sitting next to me. He starts, you know, yelling at the TV, all that stuff. I'm like And me as now covering the team, I'm a little bit unbiased when it comes to this stuff. It's like, listen, we, we've we seen this before. We literally saw this a week ago on Thanksgiving. The Cowboys play with their food. It, it happens. But it it's still a game of four quarters. And clearly in the second half, something clicked, something changed. But my key moment, and I tweeted this out, was the Malik Hooker interception. I think that not only because of the type of player that, that got the interception, but I think the moment, it just it changed right before half when the Cowboys were trying to drive within their two-minute offense and completely fell on their face. They didn't really do anything, and then all of a sudden Malik Hooker gets the interception. They're able to score and make it uh, to get to 21 points. I think that was a huge Turner point, and also the fact that Malik Hooker did it against this former team, and I'm sure we will get into that in our top 10 power rankings for the roster, but Malik Hooker, I think the team – fed off of his energy you know his excitement to go against his former team so i i I put that up there as the changing moment for me and then also too that sack that donovan wilson had you know on on the blitz my goodness the guy he's been a missile all season but that moment too to show like okay we're gonna match the aggressiveness of the colts that moment to me was like okay matt ryan played scared for the rest of the half and didn't really get settled in so i think that set the tone as well
2: yeah, I was going through my notes, and I'm glad you uh, noted the Dono sack. Oh, yeah. Because that was in bold in, in my notes, too. And then, you know, you, the Cowboys get the ball, for again, for the, their fourth drive. Uh, that's when you see one of the Tony Pollard rushing touchdowns. And then the Colts' fourth drive. Uh, Deron Bland with an absolute stop with Jonathan Taylor there. And then Anthony Barr kind of sealing up the deal with another sack there. I mean – I don't want to be Matt Ryan in this game. I feel absolutely horrible for him today. He must just be feeling he must be feeling it uh today. So, sorry Matt. Uh we're kind of not sorry because that was just a dominant dominant performance by the Cowboys defense that really I I think just solidifies what we already knew about this team which was the Cowboys defense is keeping this team afloat uh, absolutely through, through and through, no matter how the offense is performing, you, you really can count on the defense to be pretty consistent for the most part with ensuring, you know, that things are still going to get done Uh, either way. It's just absolutely incredible to see, but I wanted to talk about the halftime adjustments that we saw because I just mentioned the halftime score and how, you know, going back through the notes, there were essentially three opportunities that the Cowboys missed that could have been a 21 to nine point margin, essentially, for the Cowboys going into the half. So that score could have been very different. The game could have been put away uh, before the first half or after the first half, even concluded but I wanted to talk to you about the main difference we saw between the first half Cowboys and the second half Cowboys and why I I think obviously when when you win a game like this it's a little clouded and we seem to forget how that first half was going a little bit. Why is it so important for the Dallas Cowboys to clean up that, uh, you know, they can't seem to get it going? And, and what do you think the problem is that they can't seem to find a quicker start to these games to ensure that they lock down the, the win really early on when they could, especially against teams like the
1: Colts? Well, it's the red stripe, right? It's the helmet. It's the curse of the red stripe. Wouldn't you say that?
2: It's broken now. <laughs> it <is officially> broken.
1: <laughs> but I'm sure that's what people were thinking about when Dallas started off slow. Uh, like I mentioned, it, it's crazy because we, we know that the Cowboys are a great offensive team. They've scored 199 points in the previous five games, I believe, something like that. So they, they are putting up the points like Jess was alluding to. They're just not doing it in the first half of games. And I, I think the, the crazy part is we saw them go and score on their first opening possessions against the Chicago bears and the bears are a terrible defense, but that was sort of like the last time we saw this team clicking on offense to start a game. And, I think that they just have to simplify things a little bit, kind of get in rhythm. I think that you could see Dak was under pressure a lot. The The defensive line for the Indianapolis Colts is no joke. DeForest Buckner is up front there. Um, the other guy who's next to him, his name is uh, leaving my brain right now. Uh, but they, they have good guys up front, and – I know on the opening drive on that third down pass to Dalton Schultz that was bobbling in the air, he was getting pressure right in his face, and that was against Zach Martin, you know, who we all love and know is a a, a staple uh, strength of this offensive line. So as soon as I saw that, I said, okay, this is, this is going to be a different type first half than what we would envision against a Colts team that's a little weaker. Uh, Grover Stewart, that's the guy's name. It finally came to me. Uh, but you have – We believed
2: in you all along. I know.
1: As I'm trying to talk and (laughs) stuff, I was trying trying to
2: Google it, talk you out. You got it. You
1: got it. and, And Grover Stewart is a great defensive tackle, having a career season. So, and Yannick Ngakwe is is also at the defensive end position. So they're they're playing. The strength of the Colts right now is their defense, and I think we saw that in the first half, that when the Cowboys were trying to figure out the type of team that they were going against, trying to figure out this offensive game plan, Mike McCarthy talked about how we just were confident in the plan that we established during the week. Like when things are a little off or struggling, if you deviate from that, then you're really all out of sorts. There could be confusion. There could be penalties, which I'm sure we will talk about and their lack thereof. But the fact that they stuck to the script, I think helped them in the second half um, and it was just a slow burn. And then all of a sudden it broke out into a full-on blaze uh, in the second half. I-, I think it is a little concerning, but you also have two games coming up right now against the Texans and the Jaguars where you can kind of clean this stuff up. again. And then before you go against the best team uh, in the second half scoring in the Philadelphia Eagles, or the second quarter scoring in the Philadelphia Eagles. So I think it's something you can clean up over the next two weeks. And then we'll see, you know, assess before the playoffs, but definitely needs to be a change um, sometime in the near future.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think it is something that is repetitive at this point. I mean, it is almost like the penalty issue. It's the Cowboys beating themselves, essentially, and not sealing the deal earlier on. And uh, I I don't know. I think for me it's it's frustrating, especially being at the game. That was very frustrating. I mean, there wasn't a lot of Colts fans there, but there was enough that during the half they felt pretty confident. They were... They were very annoying. I don't remember Colts fans being that annoying, but wow, they were something. They were definitely there and they were being loud about it. Uh, obviously, that changed toward the end of the game. But, um, you know, I think, all jokes aside, I think it's important for the Cowboys to clean up earlier in the game. And I just don't know how to do that. I don't know how they truly hunker down and, and do that. But what I do know is is it seemed like their focus was back. I think there was a, a very, very different focus when you were talking about the Green Bay game, the Minnesota game. Uh, and and you saw the difference uh, with both of those games and how the focus really helped in terms of penalties, but in terms of communication, routes, you know, all of the things that the communication ties into. But I also think when you look back at this game, something for me, at least that jumped out was the amount of focus that this team had. And, um, You talked about penalties. Let's open up that box. I love me a good 50 burger with little to no mustard on the lettuce. And I'm a mustard girl. I don't like ketchup, but I will say for our 50 burgers or just any kind of Cowboys win, let's keep... The mustard very light on those burgers because you
1: keep bringing up the reference. I, it's never going to stick. I, I applaud well, your effort, uh, but Braden
2: you know. is sticky. <laughs> Look, you know what? Nobody, nobody thought Duron Bland is anything but Bland was going to stick, and Chris Collinsworth stole my thunder. This is true. I, I, I hold, I hold a lot of resentment about that, but that's okay. That's okay as long as he like. Gives me a little shout-out next time. We're good. We're good. But uh, uh, totally kidding. Totally kidding. But uh, I, I think what is important to note about this kind of win is they that team was getting scrutinized for the penalties last week as they needed to because you and I talked about how absolutely ridiculous the lack of discipline was with the penalties i think this week absolutely proves that when you hunker down and there's a system in place i mean uh on girls talk boys talk jane was even talking about how she uh got win from one of her sources about putting names on a big board and holding them accountable in different ways you even heard jerry jones talk this week about how this is zeke's 98th game and he didn't start it first time in his career he didn't start a game because of uh an accountability issue and, and again something that I appreciate is even when Mike McCarthy was asked about it he didn't really say what happened he said it's going to stay in the locker room Jerry of course being a little more vocal saying yeah it was a cell phone thing so I don't know exactly what happened uh, I didn't really hear anything on my end today but I do know that there's an accountability within this locker room that is so important. I think this game is a perfect example of that. I think they all hold each other accountable, but more importantly, they hold themselves accountable. So very exciting to see there. Something that I was excited to see was, you know, the lack of run defense was really tested in Green Bay. And since then, it's been a topic of conversation every week going into it saying, hey, was this the week to test it? Did the Cowboys truly fix it? But to me, my question is, was it ever truly that broken? I mean, the Cowboys' defense overall, yes, that kind of seemed like a bit of their kryptonite when it came to the run defense, but do you think that Jonathan Taylor and the Colts' effort to establish the run, who, by the way, let's pull up some stats, uh, the Colts only having, let's see... um, Man, I, I can't even pull it up. I think he had like 81
1: yards, something like that. On, on... Let's see.
2: Total rushing yards uh, for the Colts, 106. And yeah. you're talking about Jonathan Taylor, who is a very great running back, uh, very respectable running back within this league. Jonathan Taylor himself only having 82 rushing yards, uh, 21 carries on the ball, and he was only averaging 3.9 yards a carry. However... It is worth noting that this isn't the same Jonathan Taylor that we've seen since last year. Jonathan Taylor last year was an absolute beast. He's still an absolute beast now. But do you think this was a test, the true test, for this Cowboys defense to say, hey, they found the fix or maybe they put the Band-Aid over it, they polished it up, Do you think that this game proved that the run defense will not be an issue going forward for the rest of December football and uh, maybe even a playoff run because I'm not going to jinx it. But do you think we found the fix?
1: Yeah. I think when Cowboys were asking for a trade um, before the deadline, people kept forgetting that Jonathan Hankins was a trade that they made before the deadline. And he's, proven to be a great run defender uh maybe he will make an appearance in my top 10 we will see uh, but I do think that he's played a huge role in taking on double teams I mean if you go back and watch the tape and actually look just at him he's not getting pushed back very much so when there's no movement along the offensive line you clog a lot of gaps and Jonathan Taylor he, he's a gap runner he, he Bounces to the outside as well. But if you're containing that, I thought the defensive ends did a great job. Demarcus Lawrence is also, you know, again, Demarcus Lawrence is Demarcus Lawrence. But I think you have the combination of Hankins and also Damone Clark as well. We saw Leighton Vanderish had a, a great tackle on Jonathan Taylor in open space, which normally Taylor will make. But Leighton Vanderish looked like he was determined um, as anything to, to make the tackle. And it was a big tackle as well. So I think that it goes back to what we have been talking about, this accountability. I think when Micah Parsons was standing in the locker room after Green Bay and he said, we're going to sit down and talk about this as a unit. I know you and I have talked about this for the past few weeks, but you look at the, the you know, the proof is in the pudding. They played Minnesota with Dalvin Cook, Saquon Barkley with the Giants, and Jonathan Taylor with the Colts and held every rusher under 100 yards. And Jonathan Taylor, like the Colts were trying to establish the run. Like, they, they know that the passing game. the The Cowboys are one of the best pass defense, uh, pass defense defenders in the NFL, um, and it's proven to be that way. So the only way that they were going to have success is to run the ball, and it, in their case, didn't really work out. So I just think that. It's, play, it's playing out the way that the Cowboys were hoping. I think just, again, at the end of the day, the biggest test will be against Philadelphia. Philadelphia is great. They, they played a great Titans team on Sunday and completely dominated them, um, putting up 30 points on them. And that was mostly through the air. wasn't even running the ball. So they're a dual-threat team that I think that will give the, t- the Cowboys a, a true test right before the playoffs. And then you also have Derrick Henry, and then you have the Commanders to end the year. So I think that you'll still see a few more weeks of this. But I think it's gearing up to the Eagles game and then we can kind of assess and say, okay, what what needs to be fixed after that? Uh, But I think it's a good test. I mean, you know, Jonathan Taylor is no joke as a running back in the NFL. Like you said, Jess, I mean, dominant last year, not really dominant this year, but I think that's more of a product of the offensive line, not him as an overall talent.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. And we saw how how sturdy that Colts O-line was uh, holding up
1: for, for everybody,
2: <laughs> including poor Matt Ryan yesterday. Um, but, you know, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, kind of the key on the other side for this Run defense being tested, which obviously the run game, but a mobile quarterback. And so something uh, transitioning a little bit now before we do our top 10 rankings, because I'm just dying to see uh, who is on your top 10 this week. I don't know about you, but this was hard. This is a very hard game to put together just 10 people for. But um, something I did want to mention was Dak's playing and how Dak played this game, because something interesting Mike McCarthy said in his press conference on Monday was that he was one or two throws away from having a great game, um, and that's a very interesting way to put it. And and I didn't I didn't quite understand that. I had to sit on it for a little bit today and kind of think about it and and rewatch some stuff and go through my notes and and really just sit on this because I think for me what concerns me a little bit is the interceptions and the turnovers because of course we know Dak wasn't playing in the last Philadelphia game. We know that was Cooper rush, but what ended up being the, what, what sealed the coffin. It was the turnovers. And that's something that um, I think Dak is still struggling with a little bit is finding the balance between being aggressive and also having balance. And I, I'm not sure how much longer we're going to, kind of teeter that line and so i wanted to ask you when you went back and even watching the game when you saw the interception happen what did you see and what what did that boil down to is that another miscommunication issue or how did you view that interception
1: yeah it's it's interesting that you brought up the Mike McCarthy quote because I don't know if it was him or Kellen Moore during the week where they were talking about this aggressive nature, of Dak, and how he's playing a lot more aggressive than usual this season. And he, one of them, I believe it was Mike McCarthy, but they were saying you can't coach the aggressive nature out of him because when you do that, then you're not going to – see these big plays and then defenses start to figure out your offense a lot more. So if you're not taking the deep shots, it becomes simpler for the the defensive coordinator for the opposing team to figure out what you're doing in the game plan. So you have to test defenses. We saw it last week against the giants where Dak was throwing deep shots on third down. And you're looking and saying, well, why are you doing that? It's like, you want to keep the defense honest. You want to make sure that they're not going to just put eight in a box all the time, 10 guys in the box. So I look at I, I I appreciate the aggressive nature for Dak and more times than not it's been a benefit, but it's almost like two steps forward, one step back. I think that the the minute, you know, we're in the two minute warning for before halftime everyone's like okay give the ball to the other team like don't don't give the ball to Dak let the defense you know run out the clock and maybe they kick a field goal or maybe it's just a turnover on downs you know you go into halftime it just seems like that Dak's problem right now is is the sec the pre-halftime interceptions and I know the minute that it happened everyone's like oh my god here we go again Um, and this is dating back to his first game where against the Lions where it wasn't intercepted over the middle but it was deflected, and you're kind of seeing, oh well, let's keep that in the back of our mind. And we've seen it each and every week since then. So, I think there was a little bit of illegal contact, not something to warrant an like an aggressive penalty. And mind you, this is a referee crew. Um, I know I sent you the tweet. Or I tagged you in it before the game. I mean, they they call a lot of penalties, a lot of personal um, or you know uh, like pass interference calls, stuff like that. Um, so the fact that they didn't call it, I was a little shocked. But I think they were just letting the team play a little bit, especially in that situation. But you also had the throw that was taken away because they said it was an incomplete pass in the second half. Um, Isaiah Rodgers tried making a, a great play and it hit the ground. So you see that Dak is trying. I think that was him throwing behind CD Lamb. So I think they just need to get on a little bit more of the same page still. Um, I don't know if it's what Dak is seeing versus what CD is seeing you tend to lean towards the quarterback as trusting what the game plan is and and trying to lead his receivers the right way. Um, But it's not something that's hurt them right now. It hurt them against the Packers, but that's only one game so far. I think it has to be cleaned up. I don't know how you do it. Um, I was going to bring that up as well and how like you had a game where Dak didn't play well. Micah Parsons was pretty much non-existent. Uh, Trayvon Diggs didn't really have any highlight plays. Demarcus Lawrence didn't really do anything. Zeke was, Good until uh more silent till the very end of the game, but they still put up 54 points. You know, it's just so when you have these types of games where your players are not at their best, you could still put up that many points that I think says something in itself. Uh, but to Mike McCarthy's point, I think it it's tough. I, I'll let you say I know it was a long way to get around the answer. But uh, yeah, I there, I have so many mixed feelings about it because I don't know how to feel about it anymore because it just has happened every week. So I've become sort of numb to it happening now. Uh, so I don't know. I'll I'll let you go.
2: <laughs> I feel like that's a trauma response. Yeah. Well, and, and even I like, don't want you to feel like that. That's so sad. I know. Um, I, I know. You know, I I think what it comes down to is even I forget sometimes that Dak hasn't played this full season yet, and it's hard to remember this team in the Cooper Rush era. But it happened. Yeah. And I think. You know, with that comes a lot of time that was missed because he wasn't throwing the ball during that time. He wasn't in practice making those connections. He was there, but he was handing out water bottles on the sideline being a good teammate, right? So I think this is still pretty much a product of this, and this is something we probably would have seen the quarter point of the season had Dak not had that injury. So I think he's kind of on a different timeline than most of what we're seeing across the NFL, uh, aside from you know some of the other players or just quarterbacks specifically that have been injured, but I think that's very overlooked is Dak is still trying to adjust. You're also talking about a quarterback that didn't play a snap in the preseason, and that that conversation can come back up as far as does this have anything to do with that. And I think a lot of it just boils down to the communication within the offense right now. And I think that's something that is, it's improved, but it doesn't seem like that when you're getting turnovers every week. So knowing Dak, he is going to clean that up. And he has uh, his ultimate test coming up towards the end of the month uh, as that Cowboys-Eagles game just gets closer and closer. It's lingering there. And it is just going to be essentially a, a, a battle for the NFC East at that point, I think. Um, let's transition to our top 10 power rankings for the week, because we didn't do this last week. We decided to kick off the holiday season with a bit of a fun game and a twist with our, our special guest, Chris, Chris last week. Hello. Um, that was a very hard tongue twister to say, but we wanted to transition back to this top 10 power rankings for y'all this week. So let's get right to it. Brandon, I'm going to start with you. Who did you have at number 10, nine? And
1: eight at a uh, full disclosure um Dak Prescott is not on my list and it it's it, it might come as a shock but like you talked about Jess one or two throws from being a great game one or two throws from being a uh, not so good game I look at it not as him oh like Dak didn't play a good game he did everything he had to do and the rest of the team carried the the win so it's like this was a game to give Dax some rest a little bit. That's the way I look at it. He only threw for 157 yards, I believe. Um, you know, the, the three touchdowns were amazing and great. But it's just, again, he didn't do too much. Wasn't really flashing for me. But again, nothing against Dak or his play. I just think these 10 players are just that much better. So, so you're saying he was
2: one or two throws from being in your top 10 power ranking. Yes. As well. Yes, that's exactly. Me, okay.
1: me, me and Mike McCarthy were on the same page. Um, okay. Yeah. And
2: that's fair. Full disclosure, he's not on mine either. But okay. well, we, have, we so, have gushed our yeah. appreciation for Dak Prescott enough on this podcast that if y'all are true fans and you're not bandwagons, you're going to know that. You're going to know that we are just simply calling out who was the best of the best this week. And that's it.
1: So, at number 10, I have Damone Clark to start. I'm pretty sure I've had him on my list before. I thought the force fumble was great because it also led to the Malik Hooker touchdown. So, shout out to Malik and him giving him the opportunity. But also, too, like I mentioned, the run defense has gotten better. And I don't think that's any coincidence that Malik or uh, Dam- Damone Clark is playing more defensive snaps. Anthony Barr was back. He had that great sack. But you can see that he's not on the field as much because Damone Clark plays in a certain way that – it actually helps the defense with regards to speed. Like Leighton Vander Esch is a little bit older. Anthony Barr has certainly been uh, around the league a lot longer. So these guys, they're not as fast as they once used to be. Demont Clark is just happy to play football right now, and you can see it when he's just on the field. He had that great uh, pass, the swing pass out of the backfield to Jonathan Taylor. That he, you could tell, he put the pressure on him, and Jonathan Taylor dropped the ball. But he's there in an instant. I saw in the Minnesota game he's covering Dalvin Cook out of the backfield. So. That is going to present a, a matchup nightmare, I think, for uh, the Eagles. If you look down the road for a running back like Miles Sanders, where if they're going to try and play a read option or anything like that, if you put Damone Clark in that position as opposed to you know, Micah Parsons, I think he might play that a lot better, especially with the more uh, linebacker instincts because he plays the position a lot more. So I think that'll play dividends down the line. Number nine, I put J. Ron Kearse. Again, a continued leader uh, for the defense. Uh, spoiler alert, the uh, three-headed monster made it. Uh, made its way to the list as well Um, but you know he had seven tackles two tackles for loss and a pass deflection I think that we're seeing him post-injury just play like he was last year and being a leader for this team so I I like him especially as well with the run defense he's playing really well and also neutralizing tight ends that that plays a big role into the Dallas defense and at eight I had Ezekiel Elliott I think that not only uh, did he have a great uh, touchdown celebration, bringing back the the red cat. I- I'm sure the stadium was rocking at that point, right? Like, I mean, am I
2: absolutely erupted? I, I can't even explain it. It was after that, all we kept hearing was the chance of. Feed Zeke. I mean, it was it was the Zeke show, which I absolutely love. But yeah, it well, went
1: crazy. And even before that, you just hear Zeke, and like me, and my dad were sitting there, and and they're already up by a lot. So it's almost like like icing on the cake at that point. But you, I could just I, I instantly had a smile on my face because I'm like Zeke is getting this ball. He's gonna score. And I had no idea that that there was going to be a touchdown celebration happening. But my goodness, like he capitalized it. it, it maybe it did beat the whack-a-mole uh, part. But you know what? It was still a great touchdown celebration nonetheless. So he's at eight. Um. So Damone Clark, J. Ron Kearse, and Zeke Elliott. Again, no Dak Prescott, but that's nothing against him. I want to reiterate that in case, Dak, you ever hear this. Uh, it's not me. It's the top ten. And unfortunately, you you will be on the list uh in the future. But not right now
2: that's okay. That's okay. Full disclosure. He's not in my top 10 either. Um, but you know, it's interesting is usually our our top tens are either very spot on with each other or they're very opposite. They're kind of spot on so far. So number 10, I also had Demone Clark because you're talking about a guy who's on the outside who came on the inside. You want to talk about a cure for this run defense sickness that the Cowboys defense was facing. Well, uh, there's your cure and Damone Clark is an absolute beast. I mean, His story still is just absolutely incredible to me. You're talking about a guy that came off of this injury, a spinal fusion surgery, and here we are. I mean, this man has played a handful of NFL games at this point, and he's being this impactful. That is scary in the sense that he's already making an impact now, yes, but looking ahead to the future, absolutely just so exciting to see what this guy can do uh, going forward. So I had Damone Clark, number 10. Number 9, it's a little bit of a tie, and – I couldn't pick one or the other because last week I sat here really the entire week. I was ragging on the penalties again, as as I do. You know, that's unfortunately just stuck with me. Uh, the mustard and the lettuce may not be sticking, but the talk of penalties, for whatever reason, y'all think penalties, y'all think me. Um, I didn't ask for it to be that way. That's just how it's been. It just happens. That's okay, but uh, I want to give credit where credit is due because I'm not here to just be negative and talk about the negatives all the time. I want to give the credit where it's due. So number nine, I had both Tyler Smith and Terrence Steele um, as a duo package because they were the two most penalized uh, players within the O-line and really in the Cowboys locker room uh, up until last week. So I want to give credit where credit is due. The O-line did absolutely phenomenal in this game, and and I think – Having them get the reminder uh, after the Thanksgiving game and getting that refocus established for the penalty specifically and focusing on the cadence, even talking to both of them in the locker room about it, you can absolutely tell they were on a mission to ensure they were not going to see a repeat of 13 penalties that we saw on Thanksgiving Day. And they did it, and I can appreciate that. Anytime I see growth, anytime I see improvement, that deserves a shout-out. So I'm giving those two guys my number nine spot for the week, number eight, I also had Zeke the Freak because he looked like a vintage version of himself, even down to the little little run that he does uh, when he thought he was going to get in the end zone there for a second. And, of course, the Red Kettle celebration, maybe it wasn't as great as the Whack-A-Mole, but it was nostalgic considering you go back to Zeke's 2016 days when the Red Kettle thing really first uh, took off again, I would say, because of him and Dak. And and you saw that with the Zeke in a box Um little wind up from both of them. So I had Zeke because this was a perfect example of a game where you see Zeke being Zeke and wearing down defenses and doing what he does best and having the strength and the one-two punch. And again, y'all know that's a hill I will die on. I will buy property there. I will own it. I will happily die on that hill. But I also think, uh, you know, hearing Christy Scales talk today about how You know, he was he essentially was benched for the start. He he didn't get the starting position for this game. He didn't take it personal. He didn't cry about it. He didn't, you know, sit there and mope about it. He said, okay, and then went out and had a very productive game. So for me, holding himself accountable, I will always give credit to players when they do that because you can't coach that. You can't teach that. That is a Zeke thing, and I'm just so, so proud um, of how he's handled himself this season. So Zeke... Is my number eight. So I have Damone Clark 10, Tyler Smith and Terrence Steele at nine, and then Zeke at number eight. Who do you have at seven, six, and five?
1: I want to touch on uh two of the names. Um, Elliot again, like like you mentioned, I forgot to mention this. How I think one of the storylines that has carried this team is this resurgence of Tony Pollard back in the offense. But that wouldn't happen if Elliot wasn't was not causing friction in, in the locker room like he's been a pros pro about this they mentioned it on the broadcast and how Elliot has taken Tony Pollard under his wing since he got here in Dallas and they just have a great relationship I know there was a uh, there's there was an interview, or there is going to be an interview about the two of them you know side by side talking to each other uh, and and talking to whoever's interviewing them and they just look like they're joking around like they're brothers it's it's Elliot and it's it's his little brother you know so they cheer on each other and um, they mentioned on, uh, on the broadcast that they have an idea of in mind of how how much they want to rush per runner in the game. And um, so they just have a friendly competition and they're, they're very well aware that when Tony Pollard is playing in the game and when he's successful, Zeke knows that the team is successful too. And that has made such a difference this year for the Cowboys. And then also you mentioned Tyler Smith. We saw also too a rotation of Jason Peters again, and at left tackle Tyler Smith and at left guard, then it would be Jason Peters and then Connor McGovern. I think now we're starting to see a little bit more of this pre Tyron Smith Uh, Stuff I know he's going to be cleared on Wednesday to come back uh, and practice, so that'll be a great thing for the Cowboys, but I think even Tyler Smith at left guard also looked really good, not no penalties, at least to my knowledge, Um, you know, so I thought that was a positive development as well, too, so. Just wanted to touch on those two. At 7, 6, and 5, I got Jonathan Hankins. I already talked about him at number, at number 7. I think a big reason why the run defense has improved is that he's getting more comfortable in the scheme. Like, people forget that, yes, he's been around the NFL for a long time, but he hasn't been in Dan Quinn's scheme. So just because he's a vet and he's coming in and he's talented doesn't mean that he, he can't adjust or take time to adjust to a new scheme. So I think he's finally finding his place in this defense, and it's showing. Um, and at number 6, I put Malik Hooker. I have to mention, you know, his name, uh, the second uh, beast for the three head and monster going against your former team and having the night that he did. I was so happy he got the game ball at the end was interviewed. He's like, yeah, this one meant a lot to me. He got the interception. He got the fumble uh, return for touchdown. You could see that when the ball popped out, he dove in there. He made sure that he was the one to pick it up and score. So I give him credit for that. Um, And I think it'll build confidence for him to play better down the stretch. We haven't heard much from him in the previous weeks, but I think this will catapult him for the rest of the season at number five. I have Michael Gallup. I think we just keep seeing each and every week that Michael Gallup just gets better and better and better. The uh, fade touchdown grab that he had to high point, the ball was awesome. But I think that the run that he had with Dak rolling out was even better to score his second touchdown when he dove and was just knifing through, that showed to me that he doesn't fear contact right now. And I think that we heard that before the Giants game earlier in the season, he, he wasn't mentally there yet to be on the football field. He needed to prepare himself for the grind of the season. And I think now he's just completely over that hurdle. And I think that first touchdown uh, was a big reason for that. But you saw that his aggressive nature is starting to come out again. So I'm happy to see that. And I think, again, the more confident that he gets, the better he will get down the stretch of the season. So Jonathan Hankins, Lee Cooker, and Michael Gallup are my next three.
2: Well, what a great segue, because starting at number seven, I have Michael Gallup on my list as well, because this is a guy that, I mean, I I am rooting for, I have been rooting for him to get that comeback and, and have that breakthrough game, which I believe we saw a couple of weeks ago. And I think at this point, it's just a matter of him meshing back in the offense, which I think we've already seen, which is the great part of it because you've yet to see the best of Michael Gallup, even though you're seeing his his body awareness. I think something about Michael Gallup that's so overlooked is how aware he is of where he's putting every single part of his body within these catches. I mean, he's making plays in the air. He's uh, this guy. Just, I have so many great things to say about Michael Gallup. Uh, number seven on my list. Number six, uh, he's a little bit lower than I think going to be expected, and we'll we'll get there. It'll all make sense later, but I have Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard is my number six this week because, of course, you can't have your thunder without your lightning, and he's part of that one-two punch that absolutely is just showcase so well within this Cowboys offense. I mean, I'm going back through these stats. Tony Pollard had 91 yards rushing for 12 carries. He was averaging 7.6 yards a carry, hit two touchdowns uh, within this game. So Tony Pollard deserves all of this credit for the amount of work. I think he's done as a player, especially when it comes to the pass pro. I think that was something that uh, we forget was such a storyline at the beginning of the season was Tony Pollard's lack of pass pro and, and how that was kind of his vice and, and his uh, his kryptonite, if you will. So I'm giving Tony Pollard so much credit, and just the amount of work this man has done to be who he is now is just absolutely incredible. I also wanted to mention, um, I was going through some of the Cowboys' PR notes. He finished with 106 scrimmage yards and leads the Cowboys uh, with six games of 100-plus scrimmage yards this season and Pollard's career third. So he's having himself a great season. To me, this is the best we've seen Tony Pollard, and that's incredible going into December football. You need him full force. You need Zeke full force. You need both of them ready to go because, like, we keep talking about this Eagles game, y'all. That is going to be a game. I mean, man, that is... That's going to determine a lot. So you need Tony Pollard to continue to be on this upward climb. Uh, Number five, I had Osa Adigizua. I think Osa has been somebody who has been a silent killer within this Cowboys defense because there's just so many names within this Cowboys defense that you really just – a lot of them fade out in the back uh, a little bit. And it's almost not fair to guys like Osa, right? But uh, I mean, Osa having himself a night, he had three tackles and of course the one sack, which uh, we talked about earlier, just absolutely coming in clutch. So I think Osa is starting to feel more confident within himself. He's absolutely bought into the Stan Quinn scheme, which what Cowboys defensive player has not. Um, But I'm very proud of Osa and how he played. I think when you play, Somebody like Osa at full force. Yeah, no, you, you don't want to be that guy who's facing Osa in those matchups. That is scary. Uh, talking to Osa in the locker room, he is a great guy to talk to in the locker room. I mean, all of them are very, very open to talking, and, and it's all great. But Osa is just – strike. he strikes me as somebody who's just such a good guy on and off the field, uh, that kind of thing. And, you know, I hold that very, very high in my book. Uh, so, Osa at number five, who – is your four, three and two this week, my friend.
1: It's funny you mentioned Osa's name and he didn't make my list, but I think him and Hankins are kind of in, in a tandem, you know, but it feels like Osa has been here for seven years and you forget that he was a rookie last season and he was one of the best rookie defensive tackles in the NFL. But like you mentioned, I, he does get forgotten a little bit more and only when he has like the flash plays again, the defensive tackles, they don't get a lot of love because it's usually run stopping and you know, tackles, but when they get the sacks, like everybody, Aaron has changed how we envision defensive tackles and Osa still presents the pass rush capability um, but I think yeah he's been performing very well this season another guy who's been performing really well as of late is CeeDee Lamb I have him at number four uh, when the offense was struggling to get started in the game they were doing jet sweeps to CeeDee Lamb that touchdown that he had was just such a heads-up play and you look at this sort of lack of communication that was talked about in the Green Bay game stuff like that He's a smart guy. He's a smart player. They iron that stuff out. That takes a lot of balance, skill, and wherewithal. My dad said all three of those terms, so I'm stealing it from him. Um, you know, to, to be able to get up and score and, and be able to, when he did the sticking the football out, you know, past the pile, and that reminded me of the New England game. I was like, okay, this team is going to win this game. And that set the tone for me offensively. Um, he was better than his five receptions for 71 yards. He did a lot more, but it was sort of like I mentioned in the beginning, Dak didn't have to do a lot and CD didn't have to do a lot because the rest of the offense in the run game was doing so well and they had short fields to work with. So he didn't have the the great stat night, but you can just see he's becoming this number one guy uh, through the past five games. And Not only that, but he's also 72 yards away from back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, which I think is also very important with five games remaining in the season. So that's awesome. Number three, I have Tony Pollard. You already talked about it. I was very nervous that you were going to steal my stat uh, that I put down on here. You started rattling off a lot of stuff. I'm like, oh, boy, is she going to say it? Uh, Tony Pollard now has uh, five touchdowns of 30-plus yards this season, which is the most in the season by a Dallas Cowboys running back. That is absolutely amazing, and you could see that the reason why he's doing this is because he has such great balance. I think that people forget that. I remember his rookie season, they were playing the 49ers, I believe, and he just had this play where somebody was, or I think it might have been the Eagles even, somebody was trying to tackle him in the backfield, and he puts his hand in the ground and just keeps his balance and then skirts up the field for about maybe like 15 yards, and I was like, oh wow, this player's great. And so he just I know my dad has mentioned he reminds him of like an Emmett Smith type runner where it's the smaller guy, great balance, great burst. Um, I also love the touchdown run on how Tyler Smith is just again, you you mentioned him, he's out in front and he's pushing guys down. And then Tyler Biotish comes and then he pushes him down by accident. He's like in in the mindset of blocking. He's like, Oh, my bad guy. Uh so I thought that Tony Pollard played a great game. You already mentioned all the other stuff. Number two, I had Donovan Wilson. Uh, the guy, he's back to his old form. I call him the thumper, the The third guy for the three-headed monster. Um, finished the night with ten tackles, one tackle for a loss. That sack, I thought. He came in so fast. Uh, Matt Ryan got the ball, and he was down before you knew it. And I think that... Dan Quinn said in the in the preseason, before the season started, we mentioned this on one of our earlier podcasts, that he was most excited about Donovan Wilson and his development this season. And I do think with him being a free agent, I think wherever Dan Quinn goes, I think Donovan Wilson is going with him because he sees the vision for this type of player the same way he had with J. Ron Curse last season. So I think that him... Playing at this elite level right now is going, uh, it's under the radar across the league, but we know as Cowboys fans how well he's been. And not to mention, he was the fourth best graded run defender of the week, according to Pro Football Focus, across the NFL. So you could just see, and the the numbers don't lie, the play and the, what you're seeing with your eyes doesn't lie. Donovan Wilson is one of the best safeties right now in the NFL. So who you got for your next three? I'm sure it's probably like around the same names, right?
2: Yeah, it's it's pretty much the same thing. Uh, let's see, we had four, three, and two. So four, I had Malik Hooker. Uh, I didn't want to call it a homecoming because obviously it was already at home, but it was a revenge game, and I love a good revenge game storyline. And man, he did not disappoint. Uh, Malik Hooker's 38-yard scoop and score is the first touchdown of his career, which is absolutely crazy to think about. But combined with his interception and all of that, he's the fourth Cowboys defender with a pick and a fumble recovery touchdown in the same game since uh, Dennis Thurman in 1983. I wasn't
1: even, we weren't even born.
2: (laughs) We weren't born yet. Yeah, like can't relate. Uh, we weren't born yet, but good for Malik Hooker. I think we want to talk about breakthrough games. This was absolutely Malik's breakthrough game, and this set the bar. This set the tone for what I think we can see from Malik throughout the rest of the season. Exciting there. Um, my dog, Wit is going crazy with his toys. like, yeah, Malik Hooker, we love that for him. Um, number three, I have CeeDee Lamb because CeeDee Lamb – Oh, man, I'm just so excited for him. He has stepped into his own for a wide receiver one role, officially. And I think he has just been so heavily scrutinized from the beginning about, you know, he was put in this position uh, by the Cowboys not coming up with something with Amari Cooper he was put in this position and it's taken him time to adjust of course we've seen the drops we've seen the miscommunications but what we don't really focus on a lot with him is the growth and the amount of growth we've seen from him since week one of this season. And so I'm going back to this lovely note uh, from Cowboys PR. I'm pretty sure I had one about C.D. Lamb. Here it is. C.D. Lamb is, uh, he, he now has 17 career rushing touchdowns, moving past Tony Heal and Terrence Steele for the third most touchdown catches by a Cowboy in his first three seasons. Bob Hayes, if you're wondering, holds the record with 35 touchdown grabs in his first three years. So again, for somebody who uh, a lot of people want to argue is not wide receiver one material, he sure is doing wide receiver one things, y'all. And I, I said this today on Girls Talk, Boys Talk, but I know you're going to love this and appreciate it. He was uh, stopped dropping and rolling because he was on fire with that touchdown. Like, what was that? That Brav, was.
1: Bravo. Bravo. Thank well done. You. Thank
2: bravo. you. I figured you would. <laughs> uh, that was absolutely incredible i mean for me i was right there uh within that area so it kind of happened in my my vision of my best my best view my best view was right there but i didn't i didn't realize the play was still going on when it happened like what's going crazy back here I, I was like, gonna say years. like he
1: he loved that he loved that so <laughs> much i was like man uh, I, for but some yeah, reason, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, yeah, mom, we love a good pint about C.D. Lamb, and <laughs> he is just going hard with that toy. So I'm so sorry. That's what happens when you record a podcast from home in a one bedroom apartment. That's that's what you get. Um, but uh, like I was saying, C.D. When it happened, no nobody around knew. In my section, we didn't know the play was still going on because we thought he was down. And then when the touchdown happened, all of us, the stadium was quiet when it happened for a second because nobody realized what just happened. Nobody realized that they were actually going to uphold that as being a touchdown. Everyone just kind of assumed the play was over. Uh, He was down and he wasn't. And it was kind of an interesting touchdown moment because all of us went, oh, wait, Oh, wait, it's a touchdown. Like, we have to celebrate. What's going on? And we went back, of course, they added on the Jumbotron replaying and uh, solidified that it was indeed a touchdown. So, uh, wits just celebrating away about that little uh, touchdown from uh, CeeDee Lamb. Number two, I have Duran Bland, ladies and gents. He's anything but bland. And yeah, Chris Collinsworth, if you're listening to this, you stole that from me and you did not give me credit and I'm quite offended by that. Um, totally kidding but I I should get that trademarked and I should sell like merch or something t-shirts for
1: that everything yeah
2: I just I think it's very very fitting and this was a game to show you why he is anything but bland I mean man four tackles within this game but even more so than that two interceptions I mean you're talking a multi-interception game for Duron Bland um Cowboys PR saying that with those two interceptions, he became the first Cowboy rookie defender with two picks in a game since Trayvon Diggs. You may or may not know that name, uh, that had two in Philly back in 2020. So, again, you're talking about a Cowboys team that absolutely is shattering records every single time they're on the field. That is unheard of, that is unusual, and that is scary for anybody uh, that has to continue to face them as they are on this uphill tick to getting better. So, Duran Bland, you're getting your flowers this week. But, all right, let's see where our number one uh, differs because I have a feeling I know where this is going. Uh, but I'm just, I'm ready for this. Who do you have in your number one spot this week?
1: I have, uh, Brian anger for that awesome two point conversion, uh, or lack thereof tackle that he had pushing the guy about. No, I'm kidding. I don't have Brian. I am like, Whoa, that's a very
2: different direction than what I uh, imagined, but okay. Uh, I I love the Brian anger love. That's great. Yeah.
1: No, (laughs) of course I have to put Daron bland at number one. Are you kidding me? You're giving him number two. What's going on here? Uh, if, if Jess, you already mentioned all the lovely stats and everything again, looking at PFF and I know a lot of people don't like PFF, but again, I look at it at the stats. The numbers don't lie. Not only did he have the eight tackles two pass defense, but according to PFF land was the highest graded defensive player of the week with a minimum of 50% snaps at 943 Higher than Micah Parsons, higher than all these guys. Stefan Gilmore, who was great in the game for the Colts, it was even higher than him. So he had such an amazing game, and I think that – and we can have this conversation as well with Anthony Brown going down with the Achilles injury. What is the cornerback room going to be looking like now? And we saw Kelvin Joseph go in. The minute that he had the penalty on the, the punt return, everyone was like, oh, no, here we go. And lo and behold, now he's going to be thrust into the starting role, potentially – I do think that Bland has flexibility to go on the outside. I know he's been taking over for Jordan Lewis um, in the slot, but i I just feel more confident in Bland right now. He's shown more for me as a rookie. and i I kind of wrote this down too. like I remember in 2014 when Anthony Brown was a rookie. I was at the game, the Odell Beckham catch, very timely conversation as well too, where Anthony Brown was starting and he had an interception that game. I was like, wow, this rookie is, he's different. You know, I don't remember seeing a cornerback since Orlando Skandrick play that position and play it very well. So it's almost not like a passing of the torch on the night when Anthony Brown got injured and prayers up to him. I hope that everything goes well recovery wise, but It's just, it's comforting to know that the Cowboys are finding depth in the draft, in the fifth round. People were talking about this in training camp, that this guy was just flashing all over the place. People were shocked. So the fact that he developed so well and is playing in a starting role and you're seeing this on the field, I think is great. That one interception he had, pulling the ball away from the defender while falling to the ground, holding on to the ball, maintaining control was unbelievable. And I think that there is a conversation to be had to put him on the outside, um, Kendall Sheffield, I think, is somebody that they have on the practice squad um, that, that they have at cornerback. Maybe he can play some slot. I understand that Kelvin Joseph needs starting reps because pe- the team needs to find out if he's going to be with them for the future. Um, but I do think that right now for the the rest of the season, Deron Blaine has shown a lot more to be the number two to Trayvon Diggs than a Kelvin Joseph, but it remains to be seen. I'd love to get your take on it before uh, you get to your number one. Cause I, I know it's a topic of conversation right now. I know a lot of fans are panicking a little bit, um, but I think that Deron Bland is the ease for all that panic.
2: Yeah, and I think they have every right to panic. I mean, you lose Jordan Lewis, and then now you're losing Anthony Brown, which, like you said, sending him all the well wishes. That is uh, hearing Christy Scales talk about it today and what she saw from the sidelines. She was watching uh, in the medical tent as it was going down, and she said she just knew uh, very quickly that it was a- – pretty serious injury and when she saw them kind of pinching near the Achilles to to feel that she she had a feeling that that's exactly what he was dealing with uh Christy being his experience as she is of course she was spot on and and uh, that's the time you don't want the reporting to be correct right and so uh wishing him all the best that's absolutely awful for Anthony Brown who I feel like has just been such an impact player these last few weeks who has flown under the radar as being an impact player but um you know I, I do think Deron Bland is a very good solution to that, and I think he has more than proved himself that he is going to be versatile, and that's something, again, that we've we've echoed all season is this Cowboys defense has such depth and versatility within it that when these things do happen, they all have that next man up mentality. And we hear that week in and week out when there is an injury or anything that happens because it's true. They're all very versatile, and I think um, – you know, it only makes these younger guys better to get the on-the-job experience, as we also hear from the coaching staff uh, when when things like this happen. But Daron Bland, absolutely. I am on that train all day, every day. I've been on that train, and, and I'm just excited to see what he's going to do with more opportunity uh, and more snaps going forward. So going to keep a close eye on that. But my number one should not come, to, come as a surprise to you, to anybody who knows me. I mean... Come on, Donovan Wilson, are you kidding me? He is my number one for the week. He was all over the place. Like Donovan Wilson was not messing around on Sunday, guys. He was there with a purpose, the purpose being I want that ball, um and, and I want you to know I'm here. And every time I, I watch a game and and Brandon, I don't know if you do the same thing, I'm talking about Donovan Wilson and it's like, yeah, Donovan Wilson. Um I don't know if you do the same thing, but I take notes during the game of kind of play by play, of what the key things were by drive. I kept writing Donovan Wilson to the point where I just started putting D because I was tired of writing his whole name. I was like, D.
1: He okay. popped up a lot. He In popped brain, up a lot. Yeah, yeah.
2: And he it's because he was all over the place. I mean, Donovan Wilson absolutely had the best game I think we've seen him have. In a very long time. It's absolutely exciting for him. Um, of course, I have to go back to the Cowboys PR notes, uh, saying Donovan Wilson recorded a sack in the second quarter and now has 7.5 sacks in his career. And basically he is the fourth he has the fourth most sacks by an NFL defensive back since the twenty twenty season. So a great night for Donovan Wilson. I think he was just so explosive and his tackling. Can we talk about his tackling and how much improvement we have seen in that department? And Cowboys defense as a whole but Donovan Wilson really has stepped into his own and has become this key impact player that shows you what happens when you know maybe Micah Parsons isn't getting as much of a, of a night as I'm sure he wanted right but you have Donovan Wilson you have just all of this depth within this defense it's just mind blowing to me it's just it's so exciting we're not used to this as a Cowboys fan uh, the fan part of me, right, is still not used to having a great defense that we can sit here and gush about. But Donovan uh, Wilson's my number one, and, and I don't think that's shocking to you or anybody else.
1: Well, especially from the safety position, you know, I, three safeties made my list, and that's something. If you told me and back in 2014, 2015, when J.J. Wilcox was here and Barry Church, and I love Barry Church, but there he he never played at this level. Uh, he was always a great tackler, but like you're just seeing that you have like the ultimate safety in three of these guys. And they all complement each other so well. And even Malik Hooker is a great tackler. I remember, I think it was either in the Green Bay game or one of the other games where he had eight or nine tackles. And it's like, that's usually not who he is but he he can show that he can do that J- uh, J- Ron curse can intercept the ball and uh return it if he wanted to we saw last season against the saints he had that great sideline catch so they all do everything really well that's why i was upset when the interception that wilson had last week on thanksgiving was overturned because of the penalty it's like man he just needs to keep padding those stats although that might drive up the price tag and i don't know if we really want want that either because you you want to keep your guys here, Jess. And unfortunately, you have a lot of guys on one-year deals that are going to be probably leaving the team. So we won't talk about that now. Um, but we, we know that the one person... Speaking of free agency, speaking of everything, I know you're the host, but it was a perfect transition. Uh, talking about OBJ, I know we've mentioned his name in the past, and um, I know he he went and visited the Cowboys as we're recording this Monday, Monday night. He's at the the Mavs game with uh, Micah Parsons, Trayvon Diggs. He's supposed to meet with the team tomorrow what's you being in the building today what was the overall vibe with him being there was there excitement was there almost like a little bit of a hush hushness to it like nobody wanted to talk about it what were you feeling being the insider that you are
2: yeah no so I feel like when it has come to OBJ it's been a little bit of a roller coaster um if you've been following it like Brandon and I have it's been an up and a down every week really uh one week You know, Jerry's very open to talking about it the next week. He's not Mike McCarthy really hasn't said much about it, but something he did say during his press conference on Monday was, yeah, this is a recruitment. We are absolutely trying to recruit this player, which obviously I, I didn't think that had to be said, but, um, Really, Mondays at the Star are very interesting because especially after a late-night game like that, everyone's just so tired. I mean, you have people that didn't get home until 2, 3 in the morning, and then they show up for work at the same time they normally do. So just shout out to everybody that, that works that grind. It, it really is a grind that a lot of people don't understand or see. But um, the, the feeling within the building, to answer your question – it's very ominous because you, we don't know. I mean, really, nobody knows what's going on. Uh, the Cowboys are absolutely not saying a lot because they can't. At this point, where things are, they can't say anything. Um, they are trying to recruit, like they said, like Mike McCarthy said in Monday's press conference. They can't say much. So really the feeling I got was everybody's just kind of like, okay, well, what are we going to know next? What's going to happen? Um you know, and when, how, how quickly can this happen if OBJ finds that Dallas is his landing spot? That's the next question or, you know, wherever he decides, because this is his final visit, uh, for what we know right now for a team that's potentially trying to recruit him. So, you know, is, is his mind already made up? Is that why Dallas came last? Is it not? I mean, we don't know. What we do know is, uh, at the Mavs game, OBJ was, of course, bombarded by reporters uh, as he's trying to walk through the tunnels of the American Airlines Center to go to his uh, very nice courtside seats at the Mavs game. Mavs and Suns are playing. Um, And, you know, they asked him, so did you meet with Jerry? He said, I can't talk about that. Uh, Okay. Uh, Did you go to the star today? Can't talk about that. So he's not saying anything either. But I will say, I will say... He is wearing a jacket. If you haven't seen pictures of it, go look up uh, pictures of OBJ at the game. He's wearing a jacket that has stars on the sleeve. It's a black jacket. It has white stars on the sleeve. Look, as a Taylor Swift fan Man, that finds Easter you, you, eggs you and everything,
1: the deep scoop dive, everything. You're 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 really reading <laughs> into it, and I love it. I love it.
2: <laughs> I'm reading into it, but um, you know, all things said, you also didn't see him doing this with other teams he went to go visit. So take that with what you will. I just, uh, I don't have very much information as compared to everybody else right now because it's just very hush-hush at the moment. So that is the OBJ Watch update for the day, really. Uh, and I hope that answered your question. But I did like his jacket. I just want to say I did like that jacket. It's a very snazzy jacket he had on.
1: And there's also two whispers, rumors, that he's not really working. Like, going back to the football side of things. Like, he's not really working out when he's visiting these teams. And I think there's, again, the hesitancy of... Well, if he's not working out, does that mean he's not going to be playing this season? Like, is he, And I understand you want to maintain as much leverage as possible. We also saw in the preseason that Tariq Cohen, the longtime uh, Chicago Bear and, and great running back for a few years back, he was trying to get back in the NFL, do a preseason workout, and he blew his Achilles while he was training on Instagram Live. So I understand the precaution with everything, and but we just know the talent. We know who OBJ is it's funny because you're hearing a lot more from Jerry Jones as recently of saying like, we understand where he's at and everything. I might have to do something, you know, even though he's coming off of injury. And it just seems like that people have criticized Jerry Jones wrongfully about not wanting to win. And I think that he is somebody that wants to win. He always says, I don't have enough time or I don't have time to have a bad time, you know, and he understands what it means this season for the Cowboys. He mentioned at the end of the season last season against the the playoffs uh, loss to the 49ers. He realized that that team was healthy, that that team should have won that game. And he's trying to give this team every possible answer to win a Super Bowl. You look at even the 49ers, you know, losing Jimmy Garoppolo, what that will mean for the playoff picture for the NFL. Like there's so much. There, there's so much open Tom Brady isn't p- playing what, that well right now Aaron Rodgers is completely out of the playoff picture for the most part like these guys who are the pillars Aww, of
2: the- sad I
1: know right yeah it's so <laughs> sad uh still I guess I think mathematically in it so you know we'll see how that goes for their the season but I think when you look at the rest of the playoff picture, like it's for the taking in the NFC, and I think the Cowboys realize it's something that they've been preaching, uh, for the longest time throughout this whole OBJ watch. You know, that's been going on. It's been going on for almost a month. Like it, it, when I tell people that the NFL is the greatest reality TV show in the world, it truly is. That we've been talking about this for forever and approaching at it with different angles, and I just think that you see a little bit more joy with OBJ and the videos coming out. Of course, you know, when it's the Cowboys, it's going to be a lot more public than the Buffalo Bills, you know, stuff like that. So I, I want him to be on the team. I think that he will bring uh, an offensive weapon, whether it's for two games in the playoffs, one game in the playoffs or just the playoffs. I think that he will create a mismatch for defenses that you're going to have to worry about and open up more opportunities for a Ceedee lamb and a Michael Gallup. However, if the price is not right and he wants a a crazy amount of money for a limited time, I think, again, like we mentioned, you have players that you're going to have to sign next season. Donovan Wilson, Brett Maher, Terrence Steele, Tony Pollard, Dalton Schultz. Those are just a few names that could possibly walk out the door next season. That's not even talking about the guys who signed one year deals this season. So it's. It's it's a good thing and a bad thing. I think that you look at what the Rams are going through right now. I, I, I use this as sort of like a case study. They were all in on the Super Bowl and people were saying, uh, Dan Hanses on around the NFL heard this uh, from somebody else, but he said that the the Rams bought their Super Bowl on credit and the bill has now come due. You know, and it's like, that's such and as somebody who is in, you know, paying off student loans, like I know it's a lot, you know, you invest in your future, but some, at some point you have to pay the bill. And with, with the Cowboys, if they pay OBJ right now, uh, a lot of money, that might mean that they're not going to be paying players next season. So it's a tricky situation. Uh, The, the, by the time people might listen to this at the end of the week, there might already be a decision and this doesn't matter. But I think that if he doesn't sign with the Cowboys, don't fault them for not trying. Cause I've, th- we've seen in the past when they're trying to court free agents that it doesn't usually work out or it's like, like Oh yeah, we tried doing this and it didn't really work out. They've tried their hardest to recruit him and you can't fault them for trying. If it's a money situation or he just wanted to go to New York or you know upstate New York either. So, um, that's all I have to say. I know we wanted to keep it short, but I, I think it's something that, you know, like you mentioned at the top, um, you know, pregame that we have to talk about it because uh, it's timely. It's important, yeah. you know, but we'll see. We've been talking about it a lot.
2: Yeah. And I think something, too, in terms of thinking of the long term is when Jerry was asked on the fan, I want to say it was last week on his weekly appearance, they asked him, is this something you're looking for for this season with OBJ or really? for years to come. And Jerry said immediately, we we want help with that immediately, especially with a player like OBJ, but also, uh, you know, I can't remember off the top of my head who reported this or what, but I want to say it was something Jerry said maybe in the post game interview he had, um, you know, when, when you do this, every day as you know brandon the lines just blur to together yeah exactly um, but he did mention that he's willing to bend a little bit more for a price with obj which is not something you really hear jerry jones say a lot of the time um as far as them courting obj this is a very dallas thing to do i wouldn't expect uh anything less i wouldn't expect them to not court him i wouldn't expect him to not go to a mavs game i mean Dallas is the easiest city to court somebody in, uh, and and you have the star which courts itself. I, I really don't understand uh, how you don't court somebody if they're coming to Dallas for a visit with the Cowboys. But I think as far as OBJ and and how this is going to play out, it's now or never. I mean, you're you're going to get the answer very soon. OBJ watch will be over whether he lands in Dallas or not. But I think after it, it makes it a little bit more interesting because after what you've seen from the wide receiver core since the green Bay game, really, I think that was the the turning point for this team is it's intriguing for him to want to come be part of that core, but it's also intriguing for everybody else to say, well, does this team really need an OBJ? Because look how everybody else is playing. Look how Mike, Michael Gallup's coming back in. You have um, even, um, CD who's stepping into the wide receiver one role. And then now you have James Washington who just got cleared for his 21 day, uh, window for practice. And so I think it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle this going forward and what comes about it. But yeah, we wanted to keep it short because I'm sure y'all are just tired of hearing all this OBJ talk, but it is important. OBJ is a flashy name Jerry loves himself a good flashy player. So I think if Jerry wants him to come to Dallas enough, it it's very possible that it's going to happen. Um, but of course, that's OBJ's decision. That is his decision as a player, as a person, as a father, as a family man. All on OBJ at this point, Dallas is just doing what Dallas does best, which is court them to come in and say look at how beautiful the city is look how beautiful the training facility is it can all be yours just sign away so be interesting to see what happens there
1: yeah and and we court our listeners to listen to us every week and you know read all the stuff on blogging the boys and uh i think it's the same thing right when we get new people new writers in it's the same thing obj chris holling who just joined i think they're one in the same
2: yeah, I would say so. I would say that's pretty equal. I mean, both amazing at what they do and very intriguing names. Like, yeah, Chris, there you go. Uh, if Chris is listening, then we just recorded you again and you're not even here, which is how you know we're real ones. I just want to say it's what people say when you're not around that makes them a real one. So, Brandon, we're, we're just great people. What can I say? Um, but what I will say is we are just so... Excited to continue uh, talking about all things Cowboys with y'all on the Writers Block. It's just always so fun to talk to you every week, Brandon. You bring such a fresh perspective, and and um, your mind just works in ways I will never be able to understand. So I appreciate you. Of course, I know we appreciate our listeners and wherever y'all are listening to this, you've been hearing us go on and on these past few weeks, but I I hope uh, we we help you in some way, make you smarter, and have uh, your football insight ready to give and and impress whoever you're talking football with, but Brandon, where can the people find you one more time if they have not given you a follow yet?
1: It is at BrandonIsRight, and as the journalist that I am, it is W-R-I-T-E not R-I-G-H-T, like I am having Duran Bland at number one on my power rankings, and also too, as a little teaser, next week we're going to have a guest on our show that Jess grabbed, and uh, it's going to be an awesome guest, and I'm looking forward to uh, us promoting that. So Jess, where can people find all the promotion about that episode next week? Following you on Twitter.
2: Well, you can follow me at Jess Navars underscore on Twitter. And, yes, I'm very excited for the special guests that we're having next week. Brandon, I really, really try to find guests out of the ordinary or introducing you to the new faces or the older faces from Blogging the Boys. But so you have uh, this outlet to listen and, and really get to know different people from around this beautiful football community that really the Cowboys have grown over the years. And so we're very lucky to do this. And uh, we're very blessed to be in this position too blessed to be stressed sounding like a little hobby lobby, uh, commercial there, but Brandon, thank you so much for everything. We will be back here next week. Same time, same place. We hope to see you there and we hope to be talking on another victory Tuesday until then enjoy the rest of your day today, go kill it. And just know that we will never fault you for being an annoying Cowboys fan. So go do it to the fullest today. We'll talk to you later, Cowboys Nation. Support for this show comes from Fundrise.